0: another edition of Reptile Fight Club, we got a special one for you today. You got the one, the only Keith McPeak, the legend. <laughs> so we, he just flew in uh, uh, into Tucson, and I picked him up the airport. I drove down yesterday, and uh, we're out here for some herpins So, yeah. yeah. So I guess maybe introduce yourself briefly, kind of say say where you fit in in herpeticulture, and and we'll uh, talk about the
1: topic a bit. All right. How you doing, Justin? good good long time no see since utah <laughs> i know <Yeah.
0: laughs> and i didn't even get to say goodbye like I you know, guys took I off. off i didn't know you were leaving that uh, earlier. Yeah, earlier i want to come earlier stuck <laughs>
1: out on you yeah so basically my whole life has revolved around exotic animals um i've talked about it before my uncle was a veterinarian who had a heart uh you know heart for exotic big cats and i just been around it my whole life and um you know, reptiles were always a focus. Believe it or not, birds and fish were a big focus for me, also. But um, reptiles just is the one that stuck um, through all the years. I'm 61 now, and I'm still out here trying to find horned lizards with you guys. You know, <laughs> and and if I find one, I'll be like a little kid on Christmas morning. It's just it's just part of who we are, I think.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, I've finally realized to exploit that passion and not just deal with the animals in captivity and go out and see them in the wild now yeah it's it's
0: that's uh i think that's a progression that most people make right you know and and once you start it's really you're on the path to that right so yeah well I, i you know i i share that same you know love for all animals all nature you know i i haven't really worked with fish like you or, or birds as much but i've had them you know as pets and right. things and i i just love to see just about any nature you know it's really right. really fun i went out birding a bit today and saw some fun stuff but
1: i mean we're uh, sitting here and there's some sparrows under a tree and i'm just watching how they're interacting with each other you yeah. know how many people do that
0: yeah hopefully we'll get a nice uh, mockingbird call on here they're, they're, they can be really loud there goes a flick yeah there was a flicker. and there's a couple mockingbirds above us yeah. there coming out yeah. Uh, that's always better with nature sounds better than the car sounds that we might get on here but yeah (laughs) Yeah. well it's it's good to be out and hopefully uh the weather cooperates and we'll be able to see some stuff i went out last night didn't see too much but uh that might just be because i suck i don't know we'll see
1: (laughs) (laughs) hopefully i brought the mojo
0: yeah yeah i was waiting for keith to get here because he's he's got the owen pelly mojo and (laughs) among other things so um we'll we'll uh We'll try his luck at this uh, tonight and for the rest of the week. So should be good. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I think a, a good topic for for you here, since you're working with a lot of rare um, projects, is you know if you produce uh, a rare reptile, are you kind of obligated or or to to see that project through? you know, to kind of see it through long-term or is it fine just to like kind of cut bait and run, make your money while making's good, you know, that kind of attitude. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let you call the coin toss and then, uh, depending on who wins, we'll, <laughs> we'll, uh, have that. uh, yeah, so call it in the air here. Okay. Heads. Heads. Double. You got it. <laughs> All right. Well, the, the luck is, uh, <laughs> with the coin toss uh, as well yeah. so that's a good that's a good sign <laughs>
1: i'm gonna uh i'm gonna take the position of um letting the animals go
0: okay so not seeing it through long term okay interesting do you want to go first or do you want to um... uh no i'll let you go first. okay <laughs> gotcha <laughs> Okay, so um, I, I guess there's there's a lot of different ways to look at this, but I think you know if if you've kind of cracked the code on a on a species and and can um, breed something that very few people can, I think it uh, you know if there's there's a maybe a bit of responsibility or, or what would be really good for herpeticulture is if you know that information was shared and you know that uh, success was. Um, repeated, and uh, allowed you know more people to be able to get into that project. So um, I think from from that idea of you know if if, uh, if a project's just kind of moved on, usually people who buy into projects you know some might have success but the majority especially if it's a difficult to breed species will either you know lose interest or won't recoup their investment or whatever and so they'll get rid of the animals and so you see a lot of those rare animals that are just kind of passed from collection to collection so um so i, I think i'd kind of start out with you know that idea that maybe it's a um beneficial more beneficial for herpetoculture if if you know, somebody that produces a rare animal kind of sees that
1: through. Right. And and maybe I didn't understand the point you were making when we were talking before the show. I agree with you that, so Bolin's obviously for me are the ones that come to mind right now. And I would want to hang on to the adults that did produce for me, but my my thought was on the babies as far as moving them and not trying to make a big foundation um, aspect on it. And I'm not even talking about a monetary thing because some people do look at the monetary end of it. And if let's face it today, if you bred Boland's, they seem to be selling at $10,000 a piece Mm -hmm. very quickly, especially if they're true captive born in the States. And Believe it or not, even I got a daughter's wedding coming up I got to pay for and everything. <laughs> I still wouldn't be selling those animals. I would be dispersing those animals to other people that I think have the ability or have already proven their ability to produce it. Especially with the Bolins, because I'm not taken away from anybody that has bred the species, but they still it's a random event it's an anomaly nobody is breeding them you can't give them 50 animals and they're producing 30 out of those animals and I know some people that have had as many as 40 40 bull and eye and one female maybe gave them two clutches and then their success went away so just because you got a clutch doesn't mean that you um, understand that species yet so my thought process is Getting those babies out into other capable hands that I really believe have a shot at it and expanding that knowledge beyond just me having that success and trying to um, pool our knowledge. I guess I'm looking at it that way more than... I think maybe your argument um you wanted to talk about was would, would you sell the whole ball and eye project off in one shot and just get rid of it now that you did it. And I understand that and that would be a terrible thing to do. I'm looking at it more as the babies and moving them around and trying to expand our knowledge, I guess. Yeah, I I uh
0: I can I can definitely see that. I think, you know, that's uh uh, very altruistic <laughs> that's that's uh I, I but i wonder you know if if <sighs> that's that's a tricky one because if if you know you send them off to all these people and they don't have any success then what's right. you know what's the end point there so it's that makes it kind of tricky um ooh, there's a woodpecker over on that I saw one over there. yeah <laughs> he just flew across it. I, id that but sorry i get get distracted <laughs> easily but um so I, I guess I, I, um, usually when, you know, with, with, uh, with captive bred animals, they often do, I, I found that they do better when, when they're, you know, bred in the same place they're produced, right. you know, so a lot of times, um, so I, I think, you know, if, if they were held on to, you know, at least some of the babies were held on to, I, I yeah, I, I would say that's probably a good thing to give other people the chance and, probably move them out so I would I would uh, agree with you there but I would think you know you'd want to maybe keep some back just uh, to to increase those chances of having another successful event Um, I know kind of that's what what Chuck my you know co-host is is doing with uh, Tracy he's keeping a couple clutches Um, so I I, will see you know see how that works for him we'll see if that if that benefits him um but you know once he once he feels like he has a sufficient number to have kind of a strong captive population then he'll start moving things on you know like you're telling
1: i can see a good foundation you know aspect of that point but then i also worry about the genetics and the gene pool and i'm going to go back to Bol and i again because you know when i first Got into bow and eye, and people are like, "Well, they're coming from the wild. The gene pool is going to be crazy." But I understand from bird, you know, collections and and other aspects of other wildlife imported that the the hunters that go out and catch these things go to the easiest place that the animals are. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you may think, "Well, they're coming from the wild." That these guys are scattered all through the countryside, but in reality, it could be such a small area that these forty bull and eye. Or, you know, I'm using them because that's what I I know right now. But they come from the exact same nests every year that um, these hunters guard, you know, because that's their livelihood. Mm. And so I worry about the genetics if you hang on to too many animals and keep them in your collection um, and work with them yourself, especially if it's a random event with one animal having those eggs and babies and now you're raising them up and you've just tightened that gene pool up or are you better off getting rid of all the babies to capable hands and hoping that the rewards come back to you down the road of course it would be a very long term project that way um, but down the road you could be getting clutches from 10 different animals that were bred to um, different bloodlines and in the long run that could actually make your foundation stock a lot more solid I would feel Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I can I can definitely see. You know, you don't want to to inbreed. That would be a, a mistake. But I also I, I you know think it takes longer than you know a couple generations. So if you were to hold back those F ones and breed them back to each other, I mean that happens pretty commonly in in herpeticulture, and you generally don't see issues until they're you know several generations down the road. And you know, hopefully that would give other people time to kind of figure the project out and to uh, make a, you know, make a go at it. And then you can actually swap babies and, and kind of broaden or diversify the gene pool. But I think for a lot of these species, just to produce them regularly is is better than anything we've been doing so far. You know, Bull and I are a great example of that. You know, how many clutches are, or how many people have bred them more than
1: you once one or two
0: randomly. Two, you know, yeah, worldwide, yeah. you
1: get one or two clutches a year yeah
0: and and um I, I think is it uh france uh hunter france, hunter france has, yeah. has bred them a couple two years in a row think, twice in a row. in a row yeah, yeah so I, that seems to be the best success anybody's had or am i um, no
1: frederick and mark spataro both had um uh five um generation well not generations but five years in a row of breeding success but then as you to your point, yeah. Frederick moved to a new house. He hasn't been able to breed him since. Um, I don't know what happened with Mark's um, breeding success, but I know he, he had five, but fertility has been low on on animals and all that kind of stuff. Um, but then, you know, I, I getting to know people around the world, I, I talked to Gavin and you hear about these children's pythons that you know, if you get them from the same range and try breeding them over there, the success rate is so terrible where if you get one from one area and one from a totally different area, you know, the fertility is so high and everything else. So you wonder, you know, if you kept the litter and grew them up, are you hurting that aspect too? Is that one of the key components? Because maybe these animals in the wild disperse so greatly that, Um, when they are held tighter together like that nature has already figured out that the gene pool is tight as it is Um, I don't know I I, I like the idea of getting them out to other people I think yeah
0: I I guess in in regards to that I'd you know point out uh, john weigel's success with the rough scales and that, that started with five individuals right. and they're still going strong yeah, yeah. and but then again they also come from a very restricted range so right. you're not i mean i think all the animals that were in his captive breeding group were collected from the same area so you would probably anticipate they'd be fairly closely related and right. you know i think you have to have some you know bad genes in the mix to line up to cause issues so right. Uh, island species are another great example. So, you know, I, I think um, you know, that's that's a difficult question to yeah. to, to predict, you know, if if it something's going to happen. Species specific. Yeah, cuz I know that I mean, I my my children and I are from the Barker line and you know, I've been breeding within that line uh for you know several generations and i haven't really seen any issues they seem to do really well right. except for they're getting you know maybe nicer in color and pattern you know <laughs> <laughs> you can refine some of that so i i i think maybe that's another debate topic for another right. time but you know in in breeding and i've i wanted to get some you know experts some genetic experts to talk about that because i don't think i could do it justice but i i think there's a lot of examples that could go either way right, right. so um I, I really like, uh, well, I, I think of, uh, uh Bert Langeworth. So he, you know, he passed away uh, several years ago. Um, and it seemed like all the projects that he had founded, um, you know, he had them well established. He was pumping out animals uh, and everybody just thought, well, will produce them, you know, so, and, and he did while he was alive, but once he passed away, those projects became very scarce and very hard to find, even though he'd produced, you know, thousands or if not, you know, more than tens of thousands of, of, you know, species like the Australian water dragon. Um, I tried my hand at him. I didn't do so well with brumation and I lost my animals. I, and so I, you know, I uh, would like another chance of those, but I kind of screwed it up early on. Um, But, you know, that's maybe that goes to either of our points (laughs) because it could go to your point, too. If you're not spreading them out and you're not making available, then, you know, then if you're the only one that has them and you, you know, die or move like Frederick, then maybe that changes. So that's kind of a that's
1: I guess that could go either way (laughs) point for each of us. Right. (laughs) And, And to your point, I mean, monetarily, if you're if you're doing this. For, you know, reasons for money, it makes sense to hang on to all the animals and be the guy that can produce them. I understand that point. But I think as you and I were talking, driving over here, you know, as we get older, our values change. And, and I, I, there's a lot to be said for the camaraderie of working with other people. Um, you know, I'm working with Paul, um, Matt and Elijah with the Sanzinia and you know we were successful with the animals they gave me to produce a litter this year and there's just something awesome about sending them babies out back to those guys <laughs> so there's something to be said with working with the camaraderie of the community at that point with capable hands and you know different views i mean there were some points along the way i'm bouncing stuff off a of paul and you know letting those babies go instead of trying to hang on to them all at my place was kind of a very satisfying for me in that aspect also so you know that's another side of it too um
0: yeah that definitely builds the community when you're uh, involving other people on the projects um all right well um let's see if i've got another aspect of this that i um so in regards to um you know there there could be a nice monetary value as well if you keep a project so if you Kind of crack the code, figure out how to breed these things, and then you know you hold on to the babies t- so you could produce more of them. Um, that can work out where you're almost you know one of the few people that have them, kind of maybe Burt Langworth style, I guess, <laughs> and and uh, you could also sell them to people for less if you're producing multiple clutches of Bolans a year you know, you're you're probably not going to be able to sell them for 10 grand a piece so then it is a benefit to the buyer too because they'll the price will go down as you know if, if you figure out how to breed them so that could be another uh benefit of of holding on to a project
1: right yeah i could see that also um and then you know i i think i'm looking at this too personally in my two my My current personal situation, you know, with, you know, let's say your collection is kind of maxed out with your ability to take care of it. And, um, you know, you have so much time every day and everything else, too, that, um, you know, I think this stage of my life, I I almost like putting that smile on somebody else's face at this Mm -hmm. point, because I'm just really enjoying working with a little of this, a little of that, and all these different things. So, like I say, I'm getting a little. You know personal on my collection and you know I would love to just disperse the babies and you know help other people maybe get to the point where I was with them um, so it's a little selfish uh, it lets me keep working with many projects versus focusing on one because um, in the past I have done that um, you know in my blood python days where you know something really cool pops out and then you have to keep the whole litter and you have to keep the you know the, the sister related and brother related stuff and you know, because the possibility of that gene being there, next thing you know, you got 40 animals that you're raising up just for this one look. Yeah. Um, so that can become very daunting in it. If, you know, for me in the past, this sucked the, the life out of a project because it just became so daunting. And, you know, worrying about if uh, somebody else has some of those genes and they're going to be letting it go before you do and whatnot. So I think, you know, I look at things a little differently now at this stage of my life, you know, and there's different aspects to what we're talking about. Are we talking about a morph project or are we talking about a species project? Um, So, you know, you could tackle both of those in different ways, depending on if you're talking about a morph or, you know, a hard to breed species, obviously
0: yeah that's a good point because i i mean morphs aren't necessarily hard to breed but you might be the only one that has them and so yeah that can that could work either way but i think more along the lines you know i think i brought up the topic as as more along the lines of a rare species so i'm kind of maybe going off script here a little bit but um i i think it you know applies in a similar way but like you were saying you know the morphs are a little more of a competitive thing right. maybe and and i i agree that's not a that's not any fun to to try yeah, to you know, to do that And it's yeah. a lot of fun like you're saying it's a lot funner to to put that into somebody's hands and and see the big smile on their face right. when they get to work with that species um i i do uh think that you know that that could potentially backfire if they weren't right in it for the right reasons or if they you know decide the next year oh I, this is too much i got to get out of this and then they liquidate the collection you know there's and you know agreements sometimes like that you you've got to be ready for those to just go and you don't have any control in, in a, at that point and right. that can be sometimes frustrating i've i've seen that happen where you know you maybe place an animal out where you, you you didn't want it to be bred so you either gave it away as a pet you know and and then they turned around and tried to sell it or or breed it or where, something where the yeah. went
1: crazy on that species so they decided to, tell him to cash in yeah. you know? exactly <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah. And if I mean, if you're, yeah, and, and I, I know you wouldn't just be handing out bull and I to just anybody, you know, you put them in incapable and, and correct hands. But, you know, lots of things can happen in people's lives. And I don't think you'd necessarily begrudge them if, you know, they right. had something they needed to sell their animals for and they sold that animal. Um, but, you know, that, that that would be something to be considered if, right. if, if if you were, if you're listening to this and you decide, oh, I want to, I want to do that, you know, be prepared to just not even think about it after that point like if they do well that's great if they don't then you don't
1: worry about you, it you almost if have they, to write it off write it off at that moment that it leaves your house exactly <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 that's for sure
0: so you know that's i guess that's one thing you know that i would i would caution you know if, if you're uh, gonna do that you just be be prepared to just
1: not think about that animal anymore right right I, 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 listen, I agree with you on most of these topics, but it wouldn't be Fight Club if, <laughs> if we didn't. So I tried to take the harder side for me, too. <laughs> yeah.
0: I appreciate that. I'm going on four hours sleep. So,
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, actually, Jersey time, I was up at two, so I don't oh, know what, yeah. how many. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. <laughs> um, but, you know, Bull and I are still rolling around in my head, <laughs> even down here on a herping trip in Arizona
0: it's hard to leave a collection and not think about those animals. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if, uh, I guess the other thing is, is if, you know, if you're sp- spreading out a project, um, you know, sometimes spreading it too thin can result in, in less animals actually being produced. You know, maybe if, if, uh, uh, you know, you, If you kind of partnered up with somebody who is capable and put them in, you know, more capable hands or somebody that's got a proven track record, you know, instead of giving them to several different people, if you just kind of had one, one or two people that you, you know, place those with, that might... Might uh, be better for the long term of the project, or somebody that you knew was long term was going to do this for for quite a while, or as long as you know, as much of a guarantee we have in in herpticulture. But um, that's maybe another aspect of it.
1: Yeah, and and also, like I say, I'm looking at this very personal. As you start aging too, you start wondering, um, you know, the future of and the longevity of projects in your care. You know where. Maybe you can get them to some young herper who's, you know, shown you that they have the same passion as you do and have the same um, skill sets and and willingness to learn about a species maybe that you have figured out and, you know, kind of seeding the farm that way and and getting the animals out of your collection um, because you are aging and slowing down and not able to maybe see a, 10 year project now at this point you know um, so yeah I'm looking at it for a lot of different reasons maybe then a younger crowd would be looking at it you know
0: Oh, that's a good point yeah i i uh i consider myself like uh immortal or something like i'm i don't think about those things but i probably should
1: because yeah, i have a little bout with cancer though <laughs> kind of smacks you in the face right. and say hey you know there's things in this life that will stop you there for a little while so yeah that's a good point
0: and i i can't even imagine how the tortoise people have to do this thing because yeah, yeah. like that's like a, a two two generation pet in some some instances so. like
1: radiateds i love radiateds and and i would love to have a pair of them but i'm like at this point in my life <laughs> you know i would not even get to see them to adult size possibly you know and <laughs> Uh, I think Matt Turner's working with somebody. He said, you know, it's a 20-year project, you know, to get them up to breeding size. So, you know, me, I'd be 81 and just uh, who knows where you're at at that point in your life. So, you know, now you start looking at stuff that you don't even want to get messed around with just because of that, you
0: know. Yeah, yeah, I... I uh i i like tortoises but i that's one of the reasons i've kind of stayed away is yeah they're they require a very uh solid time commitment and not just for yourself but also you've got to find somebody that's going to continue yeah. that on but i i guess we should probably think about that with with all projects so right. i think that's a you know that's a good good piece of advice is look look at the long term of the project you know not not the long term of the project with you so right. I, I yeah i would agree with that fully um
1: yeah, I, that's uh
0: that's yeah, something something we need to think about.
1: <laughs> uh. Yeah, I mean like I say, you know, what I just went through just makes me think of that stuff a little bit more and more. And Bull and I, you know, as an example and a lot of the rare species, you know, they're they're not animals and maybe that's why they're rare in captivity is they take five to ten years to mature before you can even start thinking about introductions. You know, even even emeralds, you know, a lot of people say, you know, five years. Um, I'm finding six or seven years is actually better for me. I grow maybe a little slower than somebody that's got them dialed in a little more and feeding them a little more aggressively than I do. But, you know, you're looking at six or seven years. So for me, also, even with emeralds, you know, getting them out into different people's hands, now because you know i i could i even have some really nice babies and i might be saying to myself you know what i don't know if i'm gonna see that animal to adulthood and even use its genetics in my project so i'm better off getting it out there to some other people you know
0: yeah i i think about you know the uh, the Bert Langer, I, I keep going back to Bert Langworth, yeah. but I, you know, same kind of yeah, thing yeah. is like, um, even though you've produced a ton of them and you're and you're selling them, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to find that person with the passion that's going to keep right. that project going in the, you know at work we call it the bus effect you know if you get hit by a bus tomorrow what's going to happen to your collection you know do you have a plan for that and do you and 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 are those projects kind of thought about and and cared for especially if they're rare or hard to breed species so that's a that's a trick (laughs) that's a hard thing to do yeah so so one other aspect uh would be you know if if you have a pretty good size collection and you know you have you've kept back a bunch of babies you know you have different uh pairs um kind of ignoring the inbreeding issue um you know it would allow you to uh try different things with those pairs so you could experiment with you know variations of your uh protocol oh there was that did you hear his call yeah the the vermilion fly get your call they have a pretty little call anyway sorry (laughs) again i stick to the topic here um the uh it it would allow you to kind of try different things and see if you could nail down the keeping aspect of that project even better you know uh, as we all know you know there's more than one way to skin a cat so you could uh um try try different things and experiment a little bit while keeping your original pair you know the same consistently the same because I think uh, you know a lot of people suffer from oh I I didn't breed it this year so I'm going to change everything I do with that and then I'm going to do this and that and I I think we all are I mean you know you you want to make it work you want to do what's right for that animal and so I know I know Chuck's a big proponent of like just you know there's a lot of ways to do it so just pick away and then stick to it you know and then and it's it's worked for him with the tracye eh? so
1: right. yeah yeah so so kind of to your point though i'm thinking you know now your best option with a hard to breed species obviously are captive bred babies so maybe even though i was successful in that uh litter or clutch i could get those out to other people that do have different husbandry techniques and and whatnot and maybe even improve upon it things that i'm not thinking about and maybe conditions i'm not able to provide but these other guys you know doing things the way they're doing may even be even more successful so if i get them out to different people around the country in different areas and different spots maybe in the long term that actually helps that species in captivity um, because they're starting off with the, the best they can captive born babies versus wild caught And maybe we actually, you know, learn quicker that way versus me trying all my different angles on on that species, you know?
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a great point, because I guess, you know, I I think I'm probably limited in my imagination and I think we all are to some extent, you know. And so, yeah, having that option uh, to to do uh, to have some other people kind of try their hand and try their methods. That's a that's right. a definitely a, a good point. Yeah. So yeah, I guess that could work both ways. You know, either right. you could do the experimentation, or other people could. You know, right.
1: and and uh, to your point yeah. though, you got to find the people that you trust. You know, and luckily, being around and in, in this for so long, you know, I, I definitely know you know twenty people that I I value and and their friendship and trust them so much that. I just know things wouldn't go wrong and if things did go wrong I know they went wrong for the right reasons, you know, so yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't stress about it. But I could see, you know, um somebody maybe not as connected into the, the herbiculture community maybe having a tougher time finding those connections to do it to, you know. So it would make it a lot easier for me than maybe some other people for getting animals out into hands that they trust. So so Like i say we look at this in a very personal manner maybe you know on how it would work for us compared to the population in general
0: yeah for sure for sure i you know i think this is a definitely a good topic and we you brought up some great points and i think uh hopefully we've given you guys something to think about in in regards to both sides of this issue and and you know if you're considering a more difficult project or a species that's hard to breed you know think about some of these things what what to do if you are successful and how how you might best uh further that animal because i think even though we kind of took the opposite sides we we have the same goal in mind is to make sure that other people can work with
1: those species when we're going we want our grandkids grandkids to be able to work with a boland's python or a children's python or whatever other species you know that you're working with at that time that's the whole, end goal for us all should be that they're in captivity for the future we're not taking them out of the wild anymore and and they're just here for our future generations to enjoy yeah perfect perfect yeah that's
0: um that's the that's the goal that's yeah, the dream for sure so well um thanks for listening and and hope hope you got something out of that and and can take that home i, I i'm really uh, privileged to be able to have Keith here and to pick his brain in person, so this is going to be a great week. I'm yeah, going
1: to I'm going to learn a lot. I'm sitting here just yeah. watching the birds. I and distracted while we're trying to talk. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, right now we're looking at Gila woodpeckers. There's a vermilion flycatcher. There were there were like four or five woodpeckers yeah. just right around here, and they've just been calling and looking around. Oh, there's the elusive car horn. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the the Gila woodpeckers are really pretty. They're like have this banded pattern on their back. And Very then, subtle, but once you
1: see it in the light, it's really pretty startling. The pattern.
0: yeah, I I saw this place on online as like kind of a on on the eBird uh-huh. website, and it said it was a decent hot spot. We, we rolled up here, and it was like, oh, I don't know, this looks pretty desolate. But yeah. just sitting here, we've seen mockingbirds. The couple species I, I see, said there's a collared dove. They're invasive, but there's a collared dove in the tree over there. Um, unfortunately, no reptiles. But I guess birds are technically classified as reptiles, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> no, no non-avian reptiles here, unfortunately. Uh, well, I, I need to see the first one of the trip. Actually, I haven't found any reptiles so far. I found a couple, a couple toads, toads last right? night. Yeah, they were cool looking though. But um, so tonight will be the night, right? Well, we'll the night? We got no, Keith here them. now. We'll, we'll find him, we'll <laughs> find someone. a bunch tonight. So. <laughs> But um, I don't know. What are you looking forward
1: to most finding? You mentioned the uh, horned lizards. Any man, other? I I, I I know I'm going to catch a lot of flack with all the cool species here, but <laughs> horned lizards, man, uh, that and and any mountain kings or any king snakes would be very cool for me. Um, I know you guys are rattlesnake guys, you know, you guys get hot on that and and I'm going to act like it's not a big deal just to drive nipper nuts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean I I like I like just about
0: anything, yeah. you know. I'm I'm get geeked out by but I I really enjoy horned lizards as well. I I kept a, a, a species or two. Um, for a while, I again, brumation is not my strong suit, uh-huh. and and lost uh, the the sh- greater shorthorn lizards in brumation, but um, they they did pretty well. Yeah. Um, I collected a couple and and they actually had babies i sent the babies off to to the phoenix (laughs) zoo yeah i did yeah (laughs) yeah that and and, i mean they're probably not the best species for captivity they were a little tricky but yeah yeah, i mean it it can can be done and and i think people have shown that with the mexican horn you know the giant horn lizards i I
1: think if you live in an area kind of where they're from too it gives you a little bit of a head start jump start because um You know, you're seeing a lot more of exactly what they're doing in the wild to try to replicate that in your captive conditions. But maybe also getting the prey items is a little easier for you. Um, I don't know. what, What were you feeding yours?
0: I, I, you could order, uh, I'm harvester sorry. ants <laughs> <laughs> online and that's what they feed in on in the wild. So I was supplementing with uh, some bean beetles and they would uh-huh. eat those as well. But, um, and other small, you know, maybe some pinhead crickets here, or there, but yeah, ants were the primary right. source. Like they, well, the, the horn, the greater short horn lizards, Hernandez is the scientific name there. They're, uh, pretty broad. They're more generalist than other horned okay. lizards, but yeah. it's still like 70% of their yeah. diet is ants. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. But I, I think those species that are difficult to keep in captivity, like I, I kind of sworn off, I'm not going to keep any others in captivity right. unless, you know, there's some kind of breakthrough. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or or a, a, a huge need for, for those, you know, to be bred in captivity, right. which, uh, you know, there may be i've heard that the argentinian ants are invading utah and oh displacing the native species and having an impact on horned lizard populations in oh. utah so I, I don't know how broad that is or how far reaching or how serious it is but it does give me concern Yeah, for sure yeah i'd rather have them you know and, and you know this was another topic of reptile fight club is it you know if if there's nowhere for them to go in the wild is that really a uh conservation project if they're just in somebody's living room there goes a turkey vulture wondering, wondering <laughs> yeah big, we saw the shadow, shadow. <laughs> yeah i was like we we're close to the airport so i'm like it could have been a plane but i didn't hear a plane but <laughs> there's a lot of i've seen a lot of turkey vultures out here as yeah. well but so you know i i think i'm i'll just content myself with seeing him in the wild yeah. as, as long as we can but yeah that was one of my highlights in west texas was the horn lizard the texas yeah. horn lizard yeah.
1: ah. So I, I missed the one uh, that you guys were you, you know, maybe you hadn't arrived yet in no, Utah. I missed yeah. that one too. I missed that one, but I, yeah, I, really I missed too
0: many of <laughs> the Gila monsters yeah. that, that that chaps my hide. <laughs> yeah, th- those are really insane to see in the wild. <laughs> yeah, for sure. hopefully we'll see some here yeah. too. That that would be the reticulated Gila monsters yeah. down here and up in Utah. They're That'd the banded Gila. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully we get some of those. Uh, I don't know. I, I I went down to Ruby Road last night. I guess that's a spot where you might find a thorn scrub hook nose. Mm-hmm. They, I mean they're really different. No, very few people have seen those and they very you know, Arizona's very tippy top of their range, so they don't use they aren't usually found here. They're generally just found in Mexico. But gotcha. they're beautiful little yeah. snakes. They're yeah. really cool looking. There's just a lot of cool species, but I'm with you too. I want to see lampreipeltis. I, I, I haven't seen a live cow king. I've only found d- ones that had just been hit by cars. So I really would like to see one of those. So
1: that would be a first for me too. I actually have never found one I, a, a, in the wild yet either. Yeah. So that'd yeah. be very cool.
0: All right. Well shine up that luck and let's (laughs)
1: let's find some
0: stuff we gotta
1: find our fellow herpers first yeah that's
0: true i guess we better pick (laughs) them up i don't know owen got delayed so we might just let him find an uber out to portal or something (laughs) yeah that'd be cheap right yeah yeah. (laughs) sure owen can afford that (laughs) all right well um yeah i guess we'll we'll have an update for you in another week or two on how the trip went yeah
1: sounds good um
0: should be fun we'll we'll try to record uh some of the other guys we'll get another topic going um sometime in the trip if we can but it should be fun but so um thanks again keith it was was great it's great hanging with you yeah this is this is a birds
1: talking snakes (laughs) i can't
0: beat that yep for sure for sure even though we're both on very little sleep we're (laughs) we're we're struggling a little but you know it was a it was good discussion so thanks all right well thanks for listening and we'll uh be with you back again in, in another week. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye.